All right, verse number 25. It says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I also should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Let's pray. Dear God, I just ask you, Lord, that you would just guide me in this message. Lord, it's important for us this morning. And I pray, Lord, you just remove distractions from the room and that, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts and that your Holy Spirit could have liberty to do whatever he wants in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The church in Philippi found out that the Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome. And they responded. This is what churches need to do, amen? When you hear of somebody that you love and somebody that is involved in uh, church life and family life and in your ministry, and you hear that they're going through something, you respond. And they did. They did two things. The first thing they did is they took up an offering for him. Because, you know, in those prisons of those days, they didn't have three square meals a day. They didn't have a big screen TV on the wall. They could watch baseball whenever, hockey whenever they wanted. Basically, they put them into the prison, and the family of that prisoner would have to bring them food every day. And if nobody took care of them, that, that prisoner would likely die in the prison. And so this was a serious thing. The church at Philippi knew that the Apostle Paul was the very one that actually planted the church there at Philippi. He went through great sufferings to, to make this church successful in this place. And they said, we need to do something to help them. So they took up an offering, and they took up a good offering. And, but that wasn't the only thing they did. They also sent Paul, someone to help him in his imprisonment. That was Epaphroditus. This was no small task. Like I said, you know, today we can jump on a bus, on a plane. We can jump in a car. We can get there in no time. We can go across the globe. It's not a big deal. In this day, not so much. When he said, I'm going to go help Paul, I mean, for he, he would spend weeks in preparation. And then, not only that, weeks traveling just to get to where Paul was. And then when he got there, he wouldn't know what to expect. And not only that, you had the Apostle Paul in prison because he was preaching the gospel and they were accusing him of certain things. And so just by you knowing him would put you in association with a criminal. So you're risking something just by being there for Paul to take care of him. So the fact that Epaphroditus went and did this wholeheartedly showed that he was a true, a great man of God. After arriving in Philippi, Epaphroditus fell ill. It was a serious illness. And this illness could have been one that actually took his life, but the Lord had granted him mercy and he didn't let him die. The church at Philippi heard that he was sick 
And of course, again, they didn't text this. They didn't send an email. This had happened because someone had heard that he was sick that was maybe in Rome and maybe was passing through or visiting someone in Philippi. And so the message got to them. And it wasn't that when Paul, in return, heard that they had heard. You can imagine there's some time that has passed by here. Now he's saying, wow, they heard that he was sick. And then now we heard that they heard that he was sick. Now they need to hear (laughs) that everything's okay. Now all of that today can take place in a matter of 15 seconds on your your, uh, iPhones. But back then it took weeks and weeks to send messages back and forth. And that's why the language was here, how that it says in Philippians 2.26, For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because he had heard that he had heard that, that you had heard, sorry, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. Amen. So he, he was full of heaviness, full of worry and carefulness because they heard that I was sick and now it's going to take a long time to tell them that everything's okay. You know, this is the kind of heart he had. So Paul, in his letter, sent to the Philippian people of that, that church, commended Epaphroditus. And he told them that he thought it was best that he sent him home back to them. It was a big deal because back then when you send someone to do a job, you don't quit. You don't quit. So the problem here is is that if Epaphroditus would have just gone back to Philippi, the thoughts of the people could say, why did you leave him? Why did you leave him stranded by himself in the prison of Rome. So the Apostle Paul thought it to write a commendation to let them know, this wasn't about Epaphroditus, this was my decision. I made the decision for him to send him, because by doing this, it made it less sorrowful for me. It was important that I send him back to you. Especially since everything that happened had happened. How he'd been sick nigh unto death. And so it was Paul's decision. Paul was concerned not only about his complete recovery, but he was concerned that these people thought right about Epaphroditus. Because he loved him very much. And they had a great ministry experience together. And Epaphroditus served with all of his heart. And there was not a quitting bone in his body. And he made very clear of that in the scriptures here. In fact, in Philippians 2.28, it says, I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice that I may be the less sorrowful. See, Paul thought, I can't bear all of this. You know, every time Epaphroditus would come to the prison, he's got to be concerned that he himself is going to be arrested. That somehow they're going to turn on him. And then on top of that, being sick and almost dying there, it was a pretty intense situation that took place with this servant of God. So he wrote in verse 29, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. In reputation. So gladness means rejoicing with joy. I want you to be joyful when you see Epaphroditus. And I want you to hold him in reputation. The word reputation means honor or esteem or of great value. Amen. Now, if you had the Apostle Paul tell somebody that about you, wouldn't you say, wow, 
That's quite something. Papa Davis was no slouch. This man sacrificed himself for the ministry. And like I said, there was not a quitting bone in his body. Paul spent time describing his friend, his helper, to cause them to join in their decision to send him in the first place. Can you imagine sending someone to go do a job and then quitting before it's done? The Bible says confidence in an unfaithful man are like a, 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 broken, no, a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. He says, I want you when, you, when he comes back, for you to know that he finished what he started here. He's not leaving halfway through. And to Paul, that was a big deal. Remember when Mark quit too soon? He wouldn't even let him come on the next trip. He says, you're not profitable for me. You're a quitter. You're a quitter. And he didn't want them to think that Epaphroditus was a quitter. So how did he commend Epaphroditus to the church? How did he lift him up and and say, hey, I want you to rejoice over him. And I'm going to go through a couple of these this morning. And we're going to go, and I think this will be a help to you. The first thing is, he was a Christian brother. He says, my brother. Philippians 2.25, yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. My brother, that's a big deal. There's no greater relationship with God's people then one can openly call another one brother or sister. When I see you, and many times I'll see you, you'll come in, I'll say, hey brother, how's it going? I say that because we are brothers in God's family. Or you may say, hi sister, how are you doing? That's because we're of the same family. Amen? That's a, that's a commendation. That's a, that's a powerful thing. This is a statement where all doubt has been removed concerning the relationship that you have with your church. And I remember when I was uh, just going forward for God, I made a decision to get saved, and everything kind of changed quickly. And I decided to get baptized. Me and my wife, we, she, we weren't married then, but we got baptized on the same night. We decided to do that. We were going out at that time. I just got saved. And so we got baptized. After that baptism, I remember going down to the people, and I had someone come up to me, just put his hand on my face like this, and says, Hey, bro, praise God. And I remember how that impacted me, because I'd never had someone call me brother before. My brother wouldn't call me brother, because how many brothers call their brothers brothers? <laughs> Amen. But in the church, <laughs> David, be quiet. <laughs> church, it's something when someone comes to you and they call you a brother. That's a statement of a, of a relationship. That's not just a, a, a light thing here. Don't take it lightly when you're called a brother or sister. And don't use those terms lightly. In Ephesians 3, verse 14, it says, This cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We're involved in a very big family here. And in that family, we are brothers, and specifically within this local assembly, because we know we are of the same mind, are very much in tune as the same family. There are many brotherhoods and sisterhoods in the world. There's your siblings, they are your brothers, your sisters. 
There are others. You've ever, you ever heard of the Muslim Brotherhood? <laughs> you can create a brotherhood around anything you want, but that's not the brotherhood we're talking about. We're not even talking about your family brotherhood. We're talking about a brotherhood that began because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. It began with your salvation. Say, to be a brother or sister, there must be a common birth. A common birth. That's why in John 3, 3 it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's amazing. Sometimes I talk to people and I say, are you born again? And, and I know we use the terminology. Sometimes we say, are you saved? Now, sometimes the word saved, people have all kinds of definitions for that. But it's pretty hard to get around the terminology born again. So usually when I talk to someone, maybe from the Roman Catholic Church or something like that, what I'll say is, are you born again? And they'll usually say, no, I'm not. Because they're not. You see, to be a brother in the sense of the family of God, you have to have a common birth. And that's the birth that Jesus Christ was talking about. He said, lest a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. So you have to have that same spiritual birth. Nicodemus responded by saying, are you telling me i got to go to the second time into my mother's womb and be born? He says, no. He says, you must be born of water and of the Spirit. And by the way, the water isn't baptism, duh. The application was just made referring to the physical birth, and that is the water birth, and you ladies know what we mean. Amen? That's what it is. It's a water birth born of water and of the Spirit. So there's a second birth. Two births, one death. One birth, two deaths. You get that. You only had one birth, you got two deaths to face. You got two births, only one death to face is appointed every man once to die, and after this the judgment. The Bible talks about a lake of fire. It says that's a place of the second death. Those that have been born again will not face that death. The word death is a separation. When you die, in this world, you are separated from everything that is physical. You are separate this world. But when you die that second death, you are separated from God forever. It's a separation. It's not a cease to exist. It's not an annihilation. Your soul doesn't go to sleep and you go lullaby for the next eternity. You are alive and well, conscious, and you feel, and you will know exactly where you are. And friend, you want to make sure that if you are not born again this morning, that you get born again, because not get born again, there are two deaths waiting for you, and that is not a good prospect for any man. In fact, that's why Jesus Christ came. He came to take a second death. He says, I will die so you can live. Amen. To be a brother or sister... There must be a birth. You cannot just call someone brother like, like because they feel they're from the same culture. And it happens sometimes. You get, hey, we're from a place, brother. <laughs> when you're talking Christianity, you're talking about being a brother because this person has crossed over from death unto life. 
And they have the same father that you do. Say, well, don't we all have the same father? That seems what the world would probably like to say. Well, that's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, Ye are of your father, the devil. And the lusts of your father, you will do. You do the lusts of your father. Whatever the longings of your father are, that's what you're going to do. Now, my father is the father in heaven. And you know what? I long for the things that my father does. I'm a chip off the old block. Amen. But I'll tell you something. You're not born again. The Bible says, ye are of your father, the devil. And you say, well, I just don't get it because I keep doing these sins and I got these problems. I know you do because you'll always follow the lusts of your father, the longings of your father. And unless you're born again, you will not have the longings of God Almighty. You will not desire the things of God. But if you are saved and if you are born again, you will desire. You may struggle. You may have problems with it. You may need help. But deep down in your heart, the Bible says that your spirit is willing and your flesh is weak. Amen. But inside of you, if you are born again here today, if I'd come to you and say, do you want to follow God with your life? Everybody that is born again would say, yes. You would. You're here today saying, no, I don't want to follow God. Year of your father, the devil. We have a common birth. (laughs) That common birth has saved us. (laughs) It has changed us. It's placed us into a new family. So when we come to you this morning and we know that you're born again, we'll stick out our hand to you. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. We're in the same family. Amen. John 1.12 But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Earth here, not of blood, nor of the will, nor of the will of man, but of God. It has to be a birth of God. It's not because you've done something, because you've wanted something. <laughs> bloodline that you came from well my mom and dad i've had people i talked to them are you saved are you born again oh my mom and dad we've been christian since forever it's not what i asked salvation doesn't come through your mom and dad salvation comes through christ alone and you can have the most godly family. You can have the most Christian family. You can have preachers as, as, a, as a father. You can have a missionary as a mother. You can be out on the mission field and you can die and go to hell. It has nothing to do with your blood. Yeah. Nor is it the will of man. It's not because you've done something. Well, I've been baptized, preacher. I go to church all the time. It's not going to save you. The will of man is not going to save you. Being born, it says, but of God. It has to be all His. <laughs> I don't know about you. How many of you remember when you were born? <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. Gabriel always remembers everything. You know, you don't remember that. I, you know, basically, I really had nothing to do with it. <laughs> you know, I was just kind of going in for the ride. That's the same thing with the new birth. You maybe have received Christ as your Savior, but that birthing process, I'll tell you something, had nothing to do with your will. 
You were born again by the will of God. He placed you into his family. I'm so grateful that the Lord didn't just save me and just say, okay, I saved you from going to hell. Now get out of my sight. (laughs) I don't want to look at you. That's not what he said at all. He says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to make you my son. I'm going to bring you into my home. I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to give you everything I've got. I'm going to show you my love for the rest of your eternity. And you are going to bask in that every day, every millennia, every thousand years, every million years, you're going to know that I love you, son. Oh, salvation is so great. It's more than just save from hell. That's where it begins, of course. But he didn't stop there. He says, I'm not just going to stop you from being punished. I'm going to bless you. (laughs) I'm going to let you sit at my table. You're going to be like the king's son. Amen. Praise God for that. First John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oh, the Bible says it's not even entered into the heart of man what he hath prepared for you. Yeah, I started thinking of God, how great could it be? And I can think of the greatest things. He says, you haven't even started yet. God, I'm trying to think of how great it's going to be with you. And I'm just thinking of all these great things. He says, that's a little weak. Because it hasn't entered into your heart yet. The great things I have for you. Oh, folks, salvation is worth it. Being born again is worth it. (laughs) When the Apostle Paul looked at Epaphroditus, he looked at him and said, Brother, me and you, forever. We're going to enjoy him. It's worth it to give our lives. He says, I'm not regretting being in prison today. And Epaphroditus says, I'm not regretting being sick nigh unto death. If I can die in his service, I'm, I'm okay with that. Amen? Boy, we need to see this. To be a brother or sister, there must also be common characteristics. You understand that? See, being born again isn't just something that comes out of your mouth. <laughs> oh yeah, preacher, I'm saved. Yet you live like the devil is your father. I'm sorry, I just can't call you brother just yet. You understand that? Maybe you are, maybe you're born again, maybe Christ is in your heart, but there's something about men, we can't see your heart. So sometimes you feel a little bit restricted to use the term brother around somebody because you just don't know. Their life doesn't reflect the fact that they're in this new family. That's where it says, you're of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. Ye will do it. So somebody that's lost, they have no choice. They will just simply do what the flesh wants to do. But I'll tell you, when I got saved, something changed. Also, the things that I used to like to do, I just felt bad about doing them. You know, because I thought, no, this is what I am. This is who I am. This is my identity. I've always done this. I'm going to go do it again. But something has changed in my heart because now when I do it, I feel real bad doing it. The Lord knows that. He made us that way. You see, because your nature has changed. You're no longer like a pig in the mud. You're a sheep in the pasture. You're not one that likes to wallow in the mud. 
In fact, if you hit the mud, you jump out. And you shake yourself off. Now the thing is, what you do is you do hit the mud every now and then. <laughs> you ever seen a Christian in the mud? Sure. But it doesn't fit, does it? Because a sheep lying in the mud just doesn't fit. So that sheep, when it sees itself in the mud, it jumps up and it shakes itself off. And it wants to be clean. But a pig, no matter what you do, you can scrub that pig. You can put a bow on that pig's head. You can put perfume on that pig. When you let that pig go, they're going straight back to the mud. If that's the kind of Christian you are, whenever you get a chance to go back to the mud, then chances are you're not born again. I'm not saying you're not, but that could be the problem. I'm just saying make sure you're born again. <laughs> Amen. Say, so, do people get deceived? Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. I've met people who thought they were saved, and then it came to their attention that they were not saved. Because they weren't thinking right. Amen. We'll have the same characteristics. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Wherefore come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I'll be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, he's not saying you're going to get born again because you're not, you know, connecting with these things. But he's saying, if you come out of these dirty things of your life, what will happen is me and you will have a fellowship like a father and a son. Amen? See, I know what happens is sometimes we as Christians, because we got baggage... We'll go into a group of Christians, we'll give them a hard time because they don't love us enough to love our sin. Well, I'll tell you something, we should never love your sin. <laughs> we don't want your sin in here. And if there's sin in me, I don't want it in here. We need to deal with it. And never can we use that as a reason why people do not love us because somehow they're not accepting us and our sin. Your sin will never be accepted. It's never been accepted by God. It's not accepted by Christ. In fact, he died for the smallest of your sins. Do you understand that small sin that you justify so much? If that were the only sin on this earth that he would have came and died on the cross for it? Don't give me this stuff about, oh, that sin doesn't matter. It surely does. And we ought never to say that it's okay. It's never okay. Now, we may have them, and we'll have things in our life that we'll have to work on until Jesus comes. But that doesn't mean it's okay. <laughs> Amen. It's not right. We've got to deal with it. And as soon as we know that there's something wrong in our heart, we deal with it. We confess it. We forsake it. We move on and we, we do what God wants us to do. Amen. Yeah. That's a part of being in the family. <laughs> we don't have a family where your brothers and sisters come home and they just kind of treat everybody how they want. And they hurt each other's feelings and they curse at them. They hit them and they kick them and treat them like a dirt and... Oh, well, that's okay, because we love you. <laughs> no, you sit them down and say, that ain't going to happen here. <laughs> we are trying to make a home here that's happy for everybody. We want you to behave yourself. And more than that, we want you to glorify your Father. Yeah, amen. amen. And let me ask you this. Why wouldn't you want to have fellowship with your Father in heaven? Hey man, I know what it's like. I've smoked cigarettes for over 10 years of my life. I was up to two packs a day. Sometimes I got three in there. That's pretty heavy. <laughs> that's 25, that's 50, plus a few more sometimes. A day. <laughs> sometimes it was like chain smoking. I lit one off the other. 
I know what that's like. I know what drugs are like. I was in a rock band. I toured around. That's what I was before Christ came into my life. Folks, you can't tell me I don't know. I know the change that happens in a heart when someone comes to Christ. I know what it feels like to have the, the blinders lifted off the eyes and you become a new creature in Christ and all things pass away and all things become new. Don't you sit there and tell me that you stay old. Well, it doesn't matter. You can say, oh, no, my friend. When you get born again, you've got a new father and you've got new longings in your heart. That's what happened to me. Unless I'm special. (laughs) I'm sure it happened to you too. That's salvation, my friend. Salvation changes you. Oh, no, it doesn't have to change you. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. The thing that was going to bring you to hell, removed from you, doesn't change you? Think about it. New creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Folks, it's real. Now, I understand this. This thinker right here. We've been given a new nature. We've got a new place in heaven. We've got a common birth. We've got all these things that God has given us. But somehow this thinker right here has still got some problems. And that's why he says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He want, you are in Christ, whether you like it or not. <laughs> in fact, in the book of Jude, it says, to, the preser- to preserved in Christ Jesus. So you're just like a pickle in a jar. When you got saved, you're a pickle in a jar. He put you in the jar and he closed that thing up. You are preserved in Christ Jesus. But this is the problem. Our mind hasn't caught up yet. So what we're doing is we're dealing with our thinking as we give ourselves to the word of God, as we give ourselves to surrender to the Lord. He changes our mind where our mind becomes more in Christ as the days go by. We start thinking in Christ. Amen? Our practice catches up to our position. (laughs) But you can be guaranteed if you're a child of God, your position is preserved. Your position is in the jar. (laughs) Amen? You are in Him and will be in Him forever. And all that the problem is because we're still in this dirty, rotten, stinking world, we still got to deal with this dirty, rotten, stinking mind and this dirty, rotten, stinking body. That's why He's going to give you a new one, by the way. (laughs) Amen? We come out from among them. We become separate. Why? Because I want to have a relationship with my father. See, sometimes you you got a mom and dad. Everyone here does. They may not be alive, but you have one. And you've had one. But I'll tell you this. There are things that you have done sometimes that have put a rift between, in your relationship with your mom and dad. So you had to get those things straight. The Lord's not going to jump into your idol worship to spend time with you. The Lord isn't going to come to your bar to sit down with you and have a drink. He's not going to sit down and listen to your heavy metal music with you. But what he says is, I love you, and I want to treat you like my son. But you've got to come out. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. He is not going to enter into your dark room 
just so he can spend time with you. He's going to keep calling from the light. Come out! Come out! And I will be a father unto you. And ye shall be unto me as sons and daughters. Come out, child! He's not going in. Oh my God loves him so much, he'll go into sin for me. No, he will not. He will not. But he'll never stop calling. He'll always call. He'll always seek for you. Amen. To be a brother or sister, there also must be a common place. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 verse 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You see, if we want to have this type of relationship where we call each other brother, we've got to have a common birth, we've got to have a common characteristics, but we've also got to have a common place. See, folks, there are people that forsake us. And then they get mad at us. <laughs> they forsake us, they get mad at us. Happens all the time. See, if you're the one that forsakes, you're the one that's doing wrong. Do you understand that? Since I came here 2019, I have stood behind a pulpit just like this. The doctrines I have preached have been the same. The message is the same. The music the same. The hymn books the same. I know we need to update the hymn books. (laughs) Nothing has changed. Except some that used to be in now are out. And now we're no longer like brothers. You see, if we truly want to have this kind of connection that Paul and Epaphroditus said where he can say, my brother, we've got to have the common place. You cannot do it without the local church. I'm sorry. It's God's plan. Someone once told me, you prove to me I've got to go to church. <laughs> I just thought about that. I was very young in the faith. I didn't know a whole lot of the Bible. Then it dawned on me, um, Romans, written to the church at Rome. First and second Corinthians, written to the church at Corinth. Ephesians, written to the church at Ephesus. Philippians, written to the church at Philippi. First and second Thessalonians, written to the church at Thessalonica. By the way, if you had had the same attitude then as you do now, you wouldn't have been there the day that they got the letter. And you would have never known. Do you understand? You want proof whether God wants you a part of the local assembly? The book was written to the local assembly. To us. He says, my family. Sure, I believe that every born-again Christian is a part of the family of God. And in technical terms, we were all brothers and sisters in Christ. But I don't know that about them 
until they come here. Until I see them in the eye. Until I talk to them. Until I see their character. Then I can extend my hand and say, hey, brother. Do you understand that? There's a common character. There's a common place. Folks, it's important in the work of God, as servants of God, that we don't just look at ourselves as common workers. (laughs) We're actually brothers and sisters in the family of God. Amen? That was part of the commendation of Epaphroditus to the church at Philippi. Let's bow our heads. If you're here today, And the Lord has been speaking to your heart about the aspect of the new birth, about being born again. See, being religious won't save you. Going to church won't save you. Having a godly family won't save you. Serving won't save you. You need to be born again. And Jesus says, lest a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. You're going to miss it all. You're going to miss it all. The Bible says that all liars, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, murderers, whoremongers, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It says all liars, Have you ever told a lie that makes you a liar? It makes you one that needs to be redeemed. makes you one that needs to be born again. You need the Spirit of God in your heart. You need to be regenerated. You need to become a new creature in Christ. You need old things to pass away. You need all things to become new. That only happens when you receive Christ as your Savior. If you're here today, it's a pastor. The Lord has been speaking to my heart about getting saved. About getting born again. About receiving Christ as my Savior. And I would like you to pray for me, Pastor. If you could do that, I'm the only one looking. You're here today, you'd say, Pastor, that's me. Could you pray for me? Is there one like that? Just raise your hand so I can see it. I see your hand. God bless you. Is there another I see your hand, son. I see your hand. God bless you. Have a couple of hands raised. Is that you? You see a need? I think I need to be saved. I think I need Christ in my heart. Could you pray for me? I see all your hands, guys. Thank you. If you want to be saved, you've got to recognize some things. Number one, you need to recognize your sinfulness. That you are corrupt. Just like a dog barks because he's a dog. I see your hand. God bless you. Just be, A dog barks because he's a dog. A sinner sins because he's a sinner. Your sin is just simply an evidence of a corrupt nature. And that's why judgment came upon man. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. It's separation. Separation. 
Physical death became, came because of sin, but not just the first death, but the second. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's the wage of sin. And if you're willing to acknowledge your sinfulness, then you're also ready to receive the cure for your sinfulness. I see your hand. God bless you. If you believe that you're a sinner, you must also believe that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for that wage. Jesus paid for that sin. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you while you're a sinner. Do you believe that? You have to believe that Jesus Christ is God. He's not just an angel. He's not a man. Simply, he's God that took on himself the nature of man so he could die a man's death for us. But he is God in his nature. And that God gave his life on the cross of Calvary to pay for your sin. If you believe that you're a sinner, and if you believe that Jesus Christ came to pay for your sin, then you also have to acknowledge that when he went to the grave, three days later, he rose. Because death couldn't hold him, because he was the perfect son of God. And the payment was made. On the cross, he said, it is finished. The wage that I need to pay for the sins of men has been paid. Now, salvation for you will come when you will acknowledge that everything that needed to be done for your sinfulness, for your sin, has been done already on the cross of Calvary. 2,000 years ago, when he said it is finished, your sin was paid for. All you need to do is receive him. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You see, you just have to acknowledge and receive Jesus Christ, the God of heaven that died for you, Believe on him. Receive him into your heart. If you're here today, you'd say, Pastor, I've heard what you just said. I believe those things. I believe I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ, who is God, came down to earth to pay for my sin on the cross, and he did that. And I believe that he rose up from the grave victorious. And I'm willing to acknowledge that he is enough. He is sufficient. He did it all for me. And all I want to do this morning is to receive him. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today, and you're questioning your salvation, and you believe what I've just said, and all of us are praying that are saved, the rest are being quiet, and you're willing to pray 
and receive Christ as your Savior this morning? Would you pray in your heart something like this? It's not words that save you. It's your heart cry. Would you say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I deserve hell for my sin. But I want to be saved. I believe that you came to earth to die in my place. To pay for my sin. I believe you rose from the grave and you defeated death. Please forgive me of all my sinfulness. Come into my heart. I receive you this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Help me to serve you with all of my heart. Thank you for making me new. Thank you for the new birth. If you just prayed that from your heart and you've never received Christ before and today you finally humbled yourself before God Almighty and saw yourself for who you are and you made that decision, oh, I'd like to rejoice with you I know the Lord is rejoicing. The Bible says there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. The angels are rejoicing. Christ is rejoicing. If you just meant that from your heart. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, I just prayed that in my heart and I just received Jesus Christ as my Savior. Is there one like that today? Just lift your hand up. Don't be ashamed. Is there one like that? I see your hand. God bless you. Some of you that raised your hands, you says, I'm not sure about my salvation. Did you just settle that? Did you just call to him? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall, not maybe, not just a chance, but shall be saved. As John plays, let's all stand to our feet with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Christians, what kind of servant are you? Are you an enduring servant? Perhaps you say, preacher, I need to change my character. I haven't been a proper reflection of being someone in the family of God. And I need to get that right. Why don't you make that decision this morning? And maybe you're here today and you still haven't settled your salvation and you'd like to settle that, can I ask you to come forward at this time and come and see me about that and we'll make sure that you can understand how to be saved. Please, please move from